Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually and then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hey, this is Melvin. We're actually on break from the Selling the Couch podcast, but I thought it would be fun just to share some of the most popular episodes as well as some of my most favorite episodes from uh, Selling the Couch. We've had over 200 episodes now, and I know that for me, listening to some of these old episodes, I always pick up something and learn something new. So I hope that you enjoy today's session. Before we do get to today's session, I just wanted you to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory if you haven't had a chance. Uh, Basically, the directory makes it easier for us to connect and support one another as we grow our businesses. So after you register and you sign up, you you can create a profile that lets us know more about your practice, the good work that you're doing in the world, uh, the unique niches that you serve, niches beyond just a traditional DSM diagnosis, uh, groups and workshops and retreats and areas of consultation, all of those different things. And after you fill that out, um, it's actually way uh, easier than it sounds. But uh, after you fill it out, your practice gets placed on a Google map. That way, fellow couchies can find you in order to cross-refer clients. If they need a consult on a certain area, they can do that as well. Um, One of the things that we actually have been working on that I'm just like really excited about um, with this recent update is we created a custom cross-refer tool. Um, So if you look on any of these online communities, a lot of times you'll see, you know, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a clinician that that lives in this area, that accepts this insurance, that, you know, works with millennials. And so we thought, why not just make it easy and create a tool to do this? So you basically can run just some filters so you can, you know, ask questions like that. And you click just a a number of different things and you get search results. um, And it makes the process of just cross-referring a lot easier. You can learn more about the directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. And please enter the promo code podcast for your first month absolutely free. We'll get right to today's session. Here we go. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 163 of Selling the Couch. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to today's podcast. So uh, occasionally I get to interview somebody that totally bucks the trend of what we've learned on the podcast and what other 
private practice coaches and all of just various experts mention in terms of building a practice, especially a private pay practice. And uh, my guest today is Katie Zimmerman. Katie is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Arroyo Grande, California, and her private practice is New Beginnings Therapy. And you can find her website over at slownewbeginnings.com, and slow is S-L-O. But uh, Katie actually had a pretty crazy set of circumstances, which you'll hear on the podcast. And she had to quickly figure out how to create a a practice. And so literally in a span of uh, about two weeks, she was able to find office space, do uh, figure out her sort of naming her business and all of those different things, and uh, and get a private practice going, and actually one that had clients from the first um, start. And so when I first, uh, when Katie had first reached out, there was a part of me I was like, "What is this even possible?" But I think this podcast conversation, I think one, it speaks to the importance of relationships. I think it speaks to the importance of intentionality uh, with regard to, to our practice building and just our businesses in general. And then it also speaks to the nature of the importance of certain trainings and how they can help us. So um, we're covering a range of different things. So including, you know, what did Katie do in that two weeks right before she launched that led to her success? Katie's going to spend some time just reflecting and thinking about why she thinks her private practice has had success and what she's been able to do to continue to maintain clients coming in the door. And then we talk a lot about the narrative that many of us struggle with, which is that narrative that I need to have a, or I can only build a private practice when I have accomplished blank, whether that's X number of years in being licensed or working for a group practice or trainings or whatever that is, and how Katie was able to work through those, honor those, but still work through them. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, Among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. So we'll get right to today's conversation. Here's my conversation with Katie Zimmerman from slownewbeginnings.com. Hey, Katie, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Melvin. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I am looking forward to our conversation. I'm always fascinated and interested when colleagues sort of break the mold of what the typical private practice journey should look like. And uh, one, I'm just so grateful for your willingness to share your knowledge and experiences with us. Thank you. I'm grateful to be here. So I was trying to figure out where do I start? Because I mean, Mm -hmm. what you did was pretty amazing. I mean, it was literally just the span of a couple of weeks where 
you, you know, created this thriving practice. And I was like, what is the best first question to ask? Right. <laughs> so I thought, let me just start at the beginning, which was what was the time period between when you had the idea for private practice versus when you launched? Well, I mean, I think there's a little backstory that I feel like is important to know, which is, you know, that technically private practice had always been in my mind. You know, that idea was there. However, you know, every time that I thought about it, it it wasn't something that was in the beginning for me. It always seemed like this kind of faraway dream or thing that I had to really work up to. You know, I had this story in my head that that was something that couldn't happen until years and years of really successful practice for other people. but. Then um, something happened at a place that I was working at that felt less than ideal to me. And then within that time frame, between that happening at my old job, it was about a two-week period from the time that I had the idea to the time that I left that job and got a, an office to rent and started. That's crazy. So when you were working at the at your former employer, it mm-hmm. sounds like for a while you had thought about private practice. And so during that time, were you even like thinking and planning what private practice was look like? Or did this all just happen in the two weeks? <laughs> well, I, so when I look back, like in retrospect, it's interesting because when I think about it, I had actually been, but without intention, mm-hmm. <laughs> without the intention of it, you know, becoming a private practice so young as a young licensed clinician, I had been doing things that actually set me up for it. So, for example, I had worked as a trainee and as an intern, you know, and one of my county jobs that I was working at, I found a woman, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she was really willing to let me do just a couple of hours a week, honestly, the most four in private practice under her as an intern and just utilize her, you know, generosity of her office and her supervision. And so I had seen a couple of clients there, but I thought of it more like a way to make a little bit of extra money to not totally burn myself out with like a second job, just a couple of extra hours and a way to just kind of dip my toe in that private practice world. But I didn't really think I was never thinking of it like, oh, this will be the way that I'll get out of my current job is by kind of building something there. And I didn't. That's not actually how it happened. But it helped because at that point, I had kind of played around with a website, you know, which was actually just, again, unintentional. My brother was playing around with website design and said, hey, let me make you one. And, you know, he did that. And then it took off because I can't stand anything not being finished. And so (laughs) I completed it and had fun building that even though I didn't really have any reason to have a website when I was working for other companies Mm -hmm. at that point. But come to find out later, that was really super useful to have those things in place. It's amazing how when you look back at something, right? In that moment, something doesn't quite make sense. But when you look back, it makes perfect sense. Exactly. You mentioned a couple of things, and I wanted to kind of go a little bit deeper. You said that the thought of even doing a practice, it seemed like a faraway dream, right? And so I feel like a lot of our colleagues struggle with this, right? That, you know, I can always start like I can start after blank, right? Yeah. So I can start after I get this training. I can start after I've had this many years of experience or this many years working in a group practice, whatever it is, right? Yeah. For you, just at a practical level, how do you think you worked through that narrative? Well, 
you know, when I think of that narrative in general, because I was trying to figure out where did that come from, you know, because it was pretty strong, had become almost just a belief, you know, like just a reality, like this is just what is. And I was thinking about where did that come from? Because it obviously wasn't organic and it wasn't true. And so it came from somewhere. And I, you know, I realized it, I was hearing it all the time, teachers, colleagues, peers, um, you know, organizations that I'd work for. I'd go to trainings and I would hear it sometimes. There was just a lot of stories of kind of fear, uh, poverty, you know, starting it and going bankrupt or not being able to get it off the ground, burnout, you know, having to work two, three jobs while building a private practice. Um, so it started to become this beast in my mind that was only going to be possible. If I was, you know, older, more successful people, everyone in the community knew my name and I was renowned or something like that. And people really knew to send people to me, I had more money to start. You know, I had all these ideas and I don't really know with that type of story how I would have ever started it. You know, I don't think there would have ended up being a good time because I would have always been second guessing it. But, you know, I have a colleague who I consider the greatest mentor to me during this whole process before and during starting it. Julie Messer, she lives in this area too in San Luis. And she, I watched her, she's a little bit older than me. And she was, you know, a licensed clinician while I was an intern at somewhere that we worked together, actually. And I watched her push past those barriers, that story, you know, it's kind of the same thing as me, something came up where we were working, and it wasn't really honoring what she saw for herself as a clinician and she felt she was getting burnt out and it, she didn't want that to be her story. And I watched her kind of push past that fear and she was scared, but she did it and she set herself up for success and she didn't listen to all the stories. You know, there's more stories in our, in our, the therapist culture, like that we have to take insurance. No one will pay our private fees or that we have to work late because people get off work and they need those time slots. And if not, we're not going to be able to fill the practice. You know, there's just lots of stories. And I watched her not do any of that and still become really successful and thriving. And then she was so generous in being my mentor and walking me through all these steps that she had went through and really helped guide me, which gave me a ton of confidence. And it totally helped me to switch my own narrative. You know, I realized this is not true. That's not how it has to be. What a gift to have someone like that in your life. Yeah. I was thinking, I don't know, for some reason, is when you were talking, I thought about even actually like my own life journey. English is my second language. And so I was the first in my family to go to college here in the US. And so I think about like all the people, all these people like that didn't have to help me, you know? Yep, exactly. And, and they did. And like, and it is, it's it just the way you described it. That was just so beautiful. Cause I think, I don't know, it speaks to the, this idea that we're not ever alone on this journey. And they're really like, not saying wise, but like, yeah. <laughs> you're definitely wise. I think the smart and the wise people, they value mentorship, right? They never become so confident in their own abilities that yeah. they just like, you know, they don't have that sense of humility to say, you know what, I, I can observe this and I can learn from this. And hopefully by learning through it, I, it will help me as well. Exactly. 
Yeah, I agree. And it's, you know, and saying that you're nervous and like being honest about the fact that this is really scary or I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and having the people around you just being willing to kind of go on that journey with, with you, you know, and that's what I, my mentors here have done and colleagues. And I've found that most people really do want to help and they've been there. But I think, yeah, we have to be willing to kind of show up and like say what we need. And that, I mean, that's what we do with our clients, you know? And I think that we know that as clinicians, but a lot of times there's a lot of barriers to where we don't ask for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the other thing I heard in that is it's so easy to live our stories and Mm -hmm. our narratives, right? But it takes a different level of, I feel like, insider awareness to be able to take a step back and say, okay, what is the narrative that I'm living? And more importantly, that question that you asked is, what is the life that I want, you know? Yes. And what's the story that I want to create? Exactly. I wanted to tap in a little bit more into that. You said there was, so you got the news about the the former employer. So it was literally like this two-week process, right? Of trying to figure this out. And what are three things that you did during that time that you think set you up for success? Yeah, so... When the infrastructure, the infrastructure like drastically changed at that company that I was working for, you know, to be honest, it it was, I kind of spiraled at that point. It freaked me out. It was a huge change. It was a huge change to kind of my status and as an employee. And I knew right away, this is the way that this is working out. This isn't going to make me happy. This isn't really kind of honoring who I am as a clinician and how I work with my clients. And so it really freaked me out and upset me. And I, you know, the first thing I did was start searching for other jobs. And, but in the back of my mind, I was just, that's not what I wanted to do. I already know we live in kind of a small town. And so it's not like there's a ton to choose from. So in the first couple of days, I was kind of just frantic, really anxious, looking for different positions, trying to figure out what I could do. And in the back of my head kept thinking, do what you really want to do, not what you feel forced into doing right now. So that's when, you know, I think that's when I really used Julie, my mentor, you know, I had her kind of walk me through, like I needed her to explain to me and I did research on my own and I read and I talked to my husband about it, trying to first just figure out what is this going to mean? You know, if I, if I'm going to do this, what do I need? Can I, you know, what are the things that I have in place and how quickly can I do this? So Number one thing I think hands down is having a positive, you know, relationship with other people in my community. So having people around me that could support me, lead me in the process and having those really strong bonds with them to where I can be mentored. I just think that that set me up for success. And she led me through things like, you know, getting my DBA, setting up my business license, my electronic health record. I obtained you know, a CPA that I could trust. I got a bunch of recommendations from people in my area. Um, I had to figure out my own health insurance, (laughs) you know, so I used her mentorship and my relationship with her. I met with her. She kind of walked me through it, obviously pretty quickly. (laughs) And I set all of that up really quickly. I found an office. I rented that out and I talked with my husband about a plan in case it didn't work. Um, so that was obviously in the back of my mind was everyone keeps saying this can't work. And so, you know, I need to be prepared if, if it doesn't. But I had Julie and other people saying, no, I think you can. How did you find the office that quick? 
Yeah, it feels to me looking back like things were, you know, I think it was Oprah or somebody said that luck is when opportunity and preparation just meet each other perfectly. Hmm. That's what this was like. Seriously, that week that I was deciding that first week out of the two, one of my other colleagues from that same business had stumbled upon this office that she had decided to rent for her own company. And then about two days later, found out that the one directly next to her was opening. And it was a great location. It's in this place called The Village. It's kind of like the downtown of Arroyo Grande. So it's it's wonderful. It's easy to access. And it was within my budget. It was amazing. So it just kind of, and I was ready and I was scared, <laughs> but you know, I just went for it. It seemed too perfect. Yeah, no, that's uh, amazing. As you were talking, I just kept thinking a lot of this is having fears, right? And, mm-hmm. and having all of these narratives, yet being able to hold all of that and still move forward to taking really practical and concrete steps. Yes, which, you know, I think is funny that it's when you're in it, it's always so difficult. You know, it's easy to have your head spinning and be really panicked. But these are the types of things that I work with my clients on all the time, which is your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs, like don't always believe them. Don't, you know, they don't have to dictate your actual behavior. And I always teach values, clarification, and how to focus our behavior off of our values. And this to me was such a, you know, exercise for me in practicing that when truly with what had happened right before I left that other company, I was quite sad. You know, I was quite like shocked and surprised and sad. And so my emotions were all over the place with how that had changed because before it had happened, I had had this awesome story about working there for a really long time and kind of growing with the company and it, you know, had all these great ideals and I was really excited. And so it was quite a hit to find out that that was not going to happen and my story was going to change so drastically so quickly. But I had to, you know, really keep grounding myself and staying true to, you know, don't give in to all this anxiety and the sadness and the shock. You have to make your decisions and have your behavior be focused on what's really important to you and going to make you happy in the long run. And I luckily had really good people around me to support me through that. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, going back to that idea, it's just, we're not like, we're never, even though it can feel like we're, many of us are starting solo practices, it's really important to make sure that we have like a, a safety net of people oh, you yes. know, that are supporting us and not just like for referrals, but I think just the oh, yeah. aspect, right? Yeah, definitely. So just shifting a little bit, let, I wanted to dive a little deeper into the practice and, and, the sort of the business side of it. So I know that for a lot of clinicians, including me, like building a private pay practice is taking time. And for you, like just being able to take a step back and just reflect one, I guess two parts, like why do you think it was successful so quickly? And then the second part was, how do you think you've been able to sustain it? Sure. So I was thinking about why this happened because it does obviously seem to contradict a lot of the other stories that we've heard. But I had, you know, one of the questions that you'd asked me earlier about like what I had done to kind of set myself up and whatnot, without knowing it, uh, my training, my extra training after graduate school, you know, I paid for myself to get trained in EMDR and the Gottman method. 
because I've most of my work, even from like a, even before I was a trainee, actually, just while I was, you know, getting my bachelor's, I even worked and volunteered for domestic violence centers and things like that. So basically all of my training and all of my work, um, leading up to licensure was working with a lot of complex trauma. And so I always felt like something was missing. And so I really needed another tool to help my clients push past um, some really thick barriers. And so EMDR was important to me to learn. And I got that and the Gottman method under my belt. And I think that what happened was when I was leaving this other company that I'm, you know, talking about, who I actually still have a good relationship with, which has also helped me in building the private practice because they've decided to continue using me as a private contractor, which is great. And it helps me to be able to kind of still be involved in another aspect of the community besides just my own private practice. But anyways, when I was leaving that company and I put my two weeks in and explained that I was going to go open my own private practice, actually just right down the street from them, you know, I was concerned about what their reaction would be. And actually what happened was she said, you know, you can take those clients with you, ask them if they'd like to come because, you know, it wasn't really logical for them to be able to reassign any of those clients to any other clinicians because they had signed up with me specifically because of my specialties in EMDR and being able to do the Gottman method for couples. And so it didn't make any sense to reassign them. So that plus those couple of clients that I had had from um, that kind of tiny little private practice thing I was doing on the side that I talked about earlier, you know, four clients Hmm. that helped me right away have this foundation while I had started to market. But I have to be honest, you know, from that first week on, I had a steady inflow of referrals and calls. Um, they were coming from psychology today. I started marketing on Google, not too much because I didn't quite understand it, to be honest, but I was uh-huh. like, well, I'll throw $50 here, you know, so I kind of started playing to see with what, what worked. This is Google AdWords? Yes, Google uh-huh. AdWords. Um, I used the Express because I couldn't figure out <laughs> the regular one, <laughs> but that worked fine. Um, I had to play with it. I found that a lot of the ads just, they don't work at all, you know, I, um, because I don't quite know what I'm doing in terms of keyword research, but every now and then I, I really hit it on the head apparently and get a lot of calls. But so Google AdWords, uh, my website, I hired someone, I found somebody through a friend who did some SEO and things like that. And she kind of helped me with my website just to fix some of the background stuff to make sure that I had some SEO current on my webpage and that helped start driving some traffic. But to be then unexpectedly to me, Facebook ads have been a huge resource. I've been getting, you know, tons of inflow from Facebook that just, I think it's because it targets such a local group of people and it's not as if I'm marketing saying, come see me, but they see the information and they see what I do. And I think it just sparks interest. So I get a lot of calls there. That's so, so yeah. I'm going to totally nerd out on this right now. So, <laughs> so one, do you like, do you do your own Facebook ads or do you have somebody do them for you? Oh, I do it all by myself. Oh my gosh. You're like so resourceful. I try to do Facebook ads. Like what dial is I? This is so confusing. <laughs> I've like outsourced well, it. 
it's so cheap. You know, it's much cheaper than Google ads or Yelp or any of these other things. And it's easy and it feels more personal to me because, you know, on Facebook, I'm getting to be kind of interactive with people online and I'm getting to post things that I really enjoy and think are meaningful to my practice. And that way, if it speaks to someone else, they're probably going to be a good client for me if they do call. Right. Did you end up taking like a Facebook ads, like a course or anything, or did you kind of just no, <laughs> no, amazing, Katie. No, and you can just boost posts and do things like this, and it just it brings in a lot of interest, which is I just that was random to me. It seemed unexpected, yeah, but that worked. But I do I think that on top of that what I've been found finding a hundred percent to me is obviously keeping my practice thriving is my relationship with my clients and my colleagues and people in the community because you know I really love what I do. I'm super passionate about working with my clients. And I've found that something that I didn't know I was doing, but, you know, I guess it's not so surprisingly really people love it, is that I answer my phone. Mm. (laughs) You know, I answer my phone when they call. I call them back as quickly as I can. I answer my emails, you know, and I work with people not just if they're going to pay me or come into my office. You know, I'm really focused on trying to make sure that people that are calling and reaching out for support, I think that that's so courageous and brave. And I know that a lot of people in that moment, they're so vulnerable. They're picking up that phone and they're deciding to call. Not everyone, a lot of people, you know, well-versed in therapy and they're used to finding it. But some people, that one moment where they choose to call a therapist could be the last time they choose to do that and have that courage. And I think it's super important that I try to pick up because I've found that if I wait, too long that they've sometimes lost it, you know, that they're not ready anymore. They've overthought it and they're anxious now. And so if I can get them as quickly as possible from that moment that they've called or emailed and then work with them to find the best possible resources for them in this area, even if it has nothing to do with me, that has made people very happy and feel really respected. And like, I actually care about them even when I've never met them and don't, and I'm probably not going to see them. And they remember that and they think they tell other people. And I've also found that by a lot of, you know, the end of those phone calls, sometimes even when we started with, oh, you don't accept insurance, you know, I need to find someone that takes my insurance. And we've kind of decided that right off the bat that she's, they're not going to see me. And at the end of talking to them, they end up a lot of the time saying, you know what, I've changed my mind. I'd like to make an appointment Hmm. because by the end of the conversation, something has switched and they've decided that it feels valuable enough for them to pay out of pocket because of the care that they're receiving and it feels good and they don't want to give that up. That's interesting. So I just, the big things I hear in that is I feel like in this world of social media and all this marketing and all of this stuff, I think it's very easy to lose the human touch, Mm -hmm. you know, in building a business. And it sounds like you've just been really thoughtful about, you know, focusing on that and continuing to focus on that. Mm -hmm. That's so cool, like how something a little, you know, something small, right? Which, yeah. (laughs) but I think it's more than just, you're not just, I mean, you're speaking to the practice, but you're saying, you know what, I value you enough to respond because I know how much courage it takes to call. Exactly. And I think that that for a lot of people, that is the first time that they might have contact with a mental health professional on the other line. Mm -hmm. And 
to me, that's really important because people are scared. People are scared of what it means to come to therapy, what it means to ask for help with mental health or relationship issues. And so if I can sort of demystify it or make them more comfortable in the moment and really make them understand that they can have a safe space for that and that it doesn't have to be so scary. They don't have to do this alone and then get them that help, even if it's, you know, researching for them who would be a better fit for them in our area, things like that. It doesn't take that much time. You know, it doesn't take that much time. And I think it benefits that person. It makes me feel good. And in the end, it supports my practice. No, absolutely. Because even if, and you said it like really well earlier, because even if that person doesn't come to you, right, they remember that experience. Yes. Right. And they're then more willing to share that experience with others. Right. And I've had, I've actually had a lot of people that are friends or family of those people who never came to see me, but that I helped call me and say, this person said you could help me you know, and help guide me. And I do. And I think it's a nice gesture, but it's also, it's so necessary. And I, I actually, when I have started private practice, I have to tell you like something that's been really shocking to me is that when I do call people back, their response so often is, I can't believe you called. Hmm. You know, they say, I've been getting emails back and faxes and I've waited three weeks to get calls back. No one is answering their phone. I've called you know, 10 people so far and I can't get a hold of anyone. And I just think that must be such a helpless feeling to be finally ready and wanting some help and having no one answer. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you try to follow like a certain, like, I'm going to respond the same day or like, do you sort of like have an internal thing that you try to follow? I try as soon as I can. So it's to me, it's just, you know, the first moment that I have that seems like an appropriate time, you know, I'm not going to call after 730 or something, but you know, it's hard to when you're on vacation and things like that. So I have boundaries, but I make sure that I'm calling back immediately. And if I am going to be somewhere where there's, you know, no service or something, I make sure to put a voicemail on my phone that makes sure to let people know and on my email, but yeah, just as quick as I can. Nice. Um, so I have two really random questions before we wrap up. The first one does. So was the original, when you were working at the other place, was, were you private pay as well there? No, I was an employee. So I was full time. Got it. So you were through them. Okay. So that's even more impressive that you actually transitioned to, to private pay from there. The second question I had was going back to the Facebook ad. You said (laughs) sometimes what you've actually found is just like, having like a blog post where you're not directly saying, you know, come see me, that seems to like, so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about that. Cause yeah, I think like the reason I just thought this would be helpful is because I feel like many of us are oriented this way, which is that we just want to serve our clients well, right? right. Instead of like, come, you know, make the call like you need, you know, so Yeah. Yeah. So I use Facebook mostly as a place to post ideas and thoughts and articles, videos, things like that, that I think are really important. There, there are things that I would be sharing with my clients anyways, um, that are important to me and, and kind of voice where I come from as a clinician. And then I post them, write something and I, I'll boost the post, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like rather than going through all the hassle of, the ad, the actual ads. It's just that I'm putting a little bit of money into making that post, I guess, more special, (laughs) reach more people, put a little bit more money into it. And you can choose, you know, 
to target just the people around you, you know, from a 50 mile radius or something like that. And I like that because it helps local people get engaged and kind of, you know, hopefully kind of break that like stigma of mental health and make it more of this like kind of social interactive dialogue piece. And then I think that kind of breaks down barriers to where people, people maybe don't feel like, Oh, I was seeking out therapy. It's kind of like, Oh, I saw that you focused on self-esteem and that really spoke to me. And so I'm reaching out to you. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it, it's almost like they're becoming aware of your expertise through the knowledge that you share. Correct. That's cool. Katie, I'm so grateful for you. Uh, I'm grateful that you took time out of your day to do this. Uh, it is bright and early in <laughs> California. And, and as you told me before we started, some days you're a morning person and some days you're not. <laughs> and so True. I'm grateful that you are a morning person today. Yes, <laughs> I am just for you. <laughs> Thank you. Where can we learn more about the wonderful work that you're doing in the world? Yeah, so it's slownewbeginnings.com and slow is spelled S-L-O. And I'm in Arroyo Grande, California. Perfect. And I'll definitely include that in the show notes for you guys, which you can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 163. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for doing this again. Thank you, Melvin. Have a great day. You too. Hello there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katie. And um, I hope that it's given you just a, a different perspective on things and just a, a different way of, of seeing this whole private practice journey. Uh, a couple of things I was reflecting on today's conversations, and I just wanted to share just a couple of thoughts. One is just the importance of honoring the voices that are in our head that are of doubt, but not listening to them. So, or maybe the best way to put it is not taking everything that that goes through our minds as 100% true. I can't tell you that this has just been a personal struggle for me and how much this has been a personal struggle for me. And just uh, emails that I receive from colleagues, how much of a struggle that this is for them that, you know, there's just, I don't know why it makes me like, um, emotional. But, you know, I just feel like there's so many of us that are like enormously talented and we could give so much to the world. And a lot of times we let our fears stop us, right? And my hope, I think more than anything with this podcast is that it helps each one of you, especially if you're struggling with that, that it helps you to move forward and and realize that private practice and building a career in a way that you envision all of that is that is possible. The other key thing is just in terms of what Katie mentioned is just the thoughtfulness around trainings. Um, she mentioned a couple of them, EMDR and Gottman certified. Um, I know that just in conversations in the community, there are lots of other trainings where that's really helpful and to gain specialization. And in fact, in the community, I know that there's been several conversations in terms of like what trainings have been the most helpful in terms of return on investment. And if you guys haven't joined the community, you can join that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. Katie mentioned a number of different resources, a number of different tips, and you can again find all of that over on the show notes page, which is at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 163. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. 
Uh, among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Have a great rest of your day and thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. And actually, I completely forgot to mention this a couple of weeks ago, but by the time I release this episode, the podcast will have passed a half a million downloads, which is uh, just so crazy to imagine something that started in a, a room and I actually recorded the first couple of episodes on a, I had a laptop on a TV stand and some books stacked on uh, just to, to record those because I didn't really have a recording studio. I still don't have a recording studio, but I just kind of DIY'd, you know, so thank you so much. I'm just so grateful that you guys tune in week after week to listen to these conversations. And, you know, one of the things about podcasting is it's a lot of fun, but it can also be in a weird way isolating, like you don't quite know if what you're providing is of service to others. And uh, I'm just so grateful. I think when I when I see numbers like that, first of all, I'm like, why would... Why would so many people listen to this little podcast? But the other thing I just remember is that, you know, it's a reminder for me that I need to continue to serve and and think about, yeah, just serving with integrity before anything else. Thank you again. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey there, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session. And especially if this is your second time listening to this podcast session, I hope that you've picked up just a, a new level of insight and something that helps you on your private practice journey. As I mentioned at the beginning, I will be back with new episodes very soon. And before we wrap up again, just wanted to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Um, I actually wanted to use this time just to talk a little bit more about not just the directory, but what we're doing and what my big vision for STC is. You know, as Selling the Couch grows, uh, what really weighs on me is how do we use um, our influence and how do we use the resources? And for me, how do I steward well um, all of what I'm creating? And so we're actually taking 50% of the profits from directory sales to create a scholarship fund for kids who have been rescued from brothels in the commercial sex trade. Um, when I was a grad student, I um, was very fortunate to work three weeks in Bombay, India with the NGO and with social workers in Kamatipura, which is the largest concentrated red light district in the world. Um, it's the largest red light district in Asia. And uh, I spent three weeks there, um, spent uh, a day right in the heart of the center of the red light district, um, going into brothels, with um with with the social workers um doing lots of education on everything from HIV AIDS um all the way to 
uh, trying to figure out what what some of these workers, the challenges they were facing. And I spent the majority of my time about five hours away um, helping at a school where the kids of these workers um, were, were, and uh, just to teaching different classes, uh, getting to spend time with them, reading bedtime stories to the little ones. And f- uh, ever since all of that happened, I just have always felt like, man, if I ever get the chance to do some big things in the world, I want to make sure that uh, everything I create uh, leads to something way bigger than me. And so, um, and fortunately, selling the couch happened, and now the STC directory is happening. And so this is where uh, I'm hoping that, you know, we can dedicate our time and our resources, and I really have some big plans as we go forward with this. Again, you can learn more about the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Be sure to enter the promo code podcast to get your first month absolutely free. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, I will see you next time. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.